as we look to the Lord together in, in prayer. And our Father, we're coming before you as people that love you, see you as God sovereign, the triune God, the three in one, who sent Jesus Christ into this world to die for our sins. In a world at times seems as though it's unraveling, it begins to ravel again and only to unravel again and back and forth. There is a sovereign God who's involved in all the various movements, decisions, highs and lows. What we need to be able to understand is that you are in control, even when life seems to be out of control. We turn to you and we want to understand what it is that your word says and how it relates to the times in which we live, and in particular to the people of those times. Your word is timeless, and the application is timely. And what we need to be able to do is to see how in the fullness of time, when you send Jesus Christ in this world to die for our sins, that historical event has eternal consequences, personal ramifications for our lives even today. So we've got to look very carefully at our lives today and ask, where does this lead into the tomorrows that are coming our way? Am I prepared? Do I know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, the one who came to die for sins and on the third day raised from the dead? the one who speaks to our hearts even today. So, Father, in these minutes together that you give us, again, we're praying that you would warm these hearts, that you would engage these minds, and that you would shape these wills. As again, Father, we've come here to see Jesus and him only. And praying these things to again now in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, it's very important whenever you and I are listening to music to understand the story behind the song. And every Christmas song has a story behind it. The question is, is there a biblical text to be able to drive that song into the hearts, minds, and souls of the listeners? Now, to understand Joy to the World, we've got to understand a little something about the composer, Isaac Watts who was born in 1674, the eldest of nine children. There was a challenge that his father gave him when one day he came home and said he wasn't too fond of the music of the church that day. And the father said to him, well, then write your own. Now, his father was a pastor. And he led Isaac Watts to various phrases that began with, Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. He said, Okay, compose some new songs. And he did. Over 600. And what he was known for in particular is a collection known as the Psalms of David, published in 1719 where he would paraphrase various psalms and put it in modern-day language. For example, Psalm 72 became the hymn, Jesus shall reign where'er the sun. Psalm 90 became, O God, our help in ages past. And when he got to Psalm 98, he couldn't help 
but put it this way. Joy to the world, the Lord has come. Now what I want to do with you is to explore what is it about this psalm that would cause him to pen these stanzas. Because there are three significant stanzas found here in this psalm that stand out, that have a way to speak to your heart and my heart in 2016 living as to the way we go about relating truth to life. Now the first stanza, you and I are going to spot, it's found in verses 1 down through verse 3. We're going to put it like this, number one. When singing, to, singing joy to the world... Note, first of all, the salvation here our Lord secures. Every single verse in this stanza speaks of salvation. But notice how it starts. It starts, oh, sing to the Lord. Do you see a connection between this and Psalm 96, its sister psalm? Likewise, it begins, oh, sing to the Lord, a new song. Now, the phrase, oh, sing to the Lord, well, classical musicians would know this. It's the cantata domino. That's the idea here, that you are to sing to the Lord, and it always challenged composers to be able to come up with something new, fresh, relevant, to be able to communicate timeless truths in timely ways. And that's exactly what Isaac Watts' father did for Watts himself. But his father... He schooled him in the understanding of this verse, led him onward, and allowed him to explore this idea, sing to the Lord a new song, and got him to begin thinking very seriously about this whole matter of what is the significance and the reason behind the statement, a new song. In the time period in which the kings and the emperors were vying for, for preeminence over their turfs, Whenever a king conquered a group of people, he made absolutely certain that his corps of engineers, so to speak, would pave a new road so that the king would be able to travel that road and proclaim his, his rulership and ownership over that territory and those people. But simultaneously, while the new road was being paved, a new song was being penned. Because likewise, what a king would do at that point was to gather together the best composers in the land and come up with a song that would proclaim the victory of that king over those people and that territory. And then that musical composition would be taken down that new road and proclaimed to new territories that this king reigns. Now, what you and I find as we bring it back to 2016 living is that you and I are living with old song people. In the comings and goings of the holiday season, maybe in your office parties and so on, there might be music being played in the background that pertains to Christmas. Don't lose the opportunity to be able to do some kind of discipleship conversation approach with people who hear the background but are not thinking through very seriously the words that are associated with the songs, let alone the story behind the songs. And so while joy to the world might be coming across in the background, 
nonetheless, it's not necessarily penetrating the hearts of the people unless a believer steps forward and begins to make a connection. And what believers need to be able to do in 2016 is continuously make connections and show how the timeless can be communicated in the timely. Now, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but through me. He is the new road, the new way. But not only in your Older Testament, but also likewise in your Newer Testament, there's the concept of the new song tied to the new way. Because in Revelation chapter 5, verse 9, they sang a new song. Not an old song. They sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain. And by your blood, you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. Now do you see the geopolitical, historical context by which this is being penned? Because what God is saying is that I am victorious over all peoples. And this relates to every tongue and tribe. This has global yet personal application. So now, while quietly in the background, when you're walking down the, the aisles in a store and you're shopping, and joy to the world begins to break in, maybe somewhat quietly because people are going about picking up their various items. If you find yourself struggling with being able to carry on a conversation with somebody, ponder the significance of the timing of the songs that God allows to be heard in the store and ask, is there a particular person, Lord, that you want me to carry on a conversation with? I'll tell you a little bit about that in just a bit. So he has built a new road and filled it with a new song to a world that sees endless options of roads rather than the one who said, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father but through me and fails to understand that in this old song era, we've got a new song singer, and his name is Jesus, you see. But you're still in verse 1. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. Now, the Hebrew word pele for marvelous is the word we get wonder or wonderful from. The very same word last week we covered when in Isaiah chapter 9, we are told that this Messiah is known as wonderful counselor. Almighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. The word carries with the idea of someone who is distinguishable and above all others. Now, what you have to be able to do before you talk about the the wonderful things is to talk about the wonderful one who does the wonderful things. So, O sing to the Lord a new song. He paves the new road and communicates via the new song, for he has done as spoken of here in these words. Marvelous things, wonderful things. And why does he have the capacity to do such things? Notice the poetical expressions of spiritual truths. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. 
Now, notice the wording. It's his right hand, not your, not my right hand. And as soon as we see that, our minds go back again to some of the illustrations that we considered in our Ezra Nehemiah series. Dr. Ben Carson, still more from his book, Gifted Hands. He's weary. It's the surgical procedure that put his name out in front of everybody globally. He's recalling the end of the surgical process. Now with a deep sigh and hands that are literally shaking from a 22-hour ordeal, turns to the staff around him and says, close the wounds. The surgery is over. The Siamese are separated. He would go on to say in his book, with regard to being a neurosurgeon, that what God has done is given me not only a sense of determination, but also a desire within my soul to use, quote, unquote, gifted hands. I went for training and sharpening for my skills for the sake of meeting the needs of others. Well, sing to the Lord a new song, not an old song. He has done marvelous things, and you're asking by what capacity? Well, it's because he has, first of all, his right hand available to him. We're standing in Florence, Italy. And as we're standing there, I'm looking up at the David that Michelangelo had constructed, sculpted. And what stands out in our minds is that the right hand is enlarged. It's disproportionate. It captures your attention. There's a significant sense of power in that hand. The hand that would use five smooth stones to take down a Goliath. The hand that would be used to be able to take apart animals that were about to destroy the flock. And yet the hand that would be able to pen words, lyrics found in our Psalms. Astounding what that hand could produce. We're drawn to the hand. Now there's something disproportionate about this hand that stands out for you in this stanza his right hand, but it's connected with this holy arm, you see, have worked salvation for him. And all of a sudden, you will find that the Jewish readers are now nodding their heads. They know exactly what's happening here because what the psalmist is doing is taking them back. Taking them back to a prior composer. Taking them back to a prior song. Where Moses and the people of Israel sang this song in Exodus chapter 15, verse 1, to the Lord, saying, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. Man, they were so desperate in need for a sense of being saved from the forces of the, of the Egyptian army that's before them at this point. But they're hemmed in, pinned in, and there's the sea. And is anything going to be done? Can anything be done to be able to rescue them? But you're pondering the marvelous deeds of a sovereign God. 
And so what he does with poetically speaking, this disproportionate hand and disproportionate arm, is that he separates the waters so that the people can go through. And now Moses and company would sing in verse 11 of the 15th chapter of Exodus, Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Listen now. Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesomeness and glorious deeds, doing wonders? Hebrew word, pele. Same word used last week in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. Wonderful counselor. Used here, marvelous things in Psalm 98. But then in Exodus chapter 15, verse 12, you stretched out your right hand. the earth, speaking of the Egyptian forces, swallowed them. Now, when you're dealing with wearied people in this season who are living off of old song, philosophies of life, you've got to find a way to bring the new song of salvation to them in a fresh way. Draw out the whole idea of the new road, the new way that's been paved. Draw out the idea of the singer who sang the song of redemption at the cross where he died in our place for our sins. Ponder the marvelous things that God has done. In the very same way that there would be this vision by the name of Mary, they would ponder this marvelous, this wonder of who is now within her womb. Two natures within one person. And why? except you've got to connect Bethlehem to Calvary. And understand it takes two natures to be able to produce the perfect sacrifice for our sins. Divinity and humanity. And then amazingly, as you're still thinking through the story behind the song here of joy to the world, you notice how verse 1 ends? His right hand And his holy arm have worked salvation for him. Simply put, this is God's work. It's not our work. Theologically speaking, this is grace. Not human works. We are saved by grace through faith. In the work of Jesus Christ, you see. And here, poetically now, we've got doctrinal perspective. His right hand, his holy arm, have worked salvation. And I would assume because, you know, you, you, you tend to think about yourself. Well, for me. Are you caught off God by the next phrase? Have worked salvation for him. This was done by him. This is done for him. Done by the second member of the Trinity, Jesus Christ. It is finished. And there is the nod of approval by the first member of the Trinity. And the perfect sacrifice is offered for our sins. But notice the dynamic between the first and second members of the Trinity. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. Now, once we grasp that, 
notice in verses 2 and 3, three significant statements about the way in which God communicates. Verse 2. The Lord has made known his salvation. Did you make known his salvation? No. Notice who is the great communicator. Notice who takes the initiative. He's not passive. He's proactive. The Lord has made known his salvation. Prophetically speaking, long before Jesus Christ came into Bethlehem to go to the cross to die for our sins, prophetically speaking, the Lord was making known this plan of salvation. That is now a general first statement. But now notice the second. He, not us, he has revealed his righteousness. Where? In the sight of the nations. He began with the general. The Lord has made his salvation known. Then he goes international. He has revealed his righteousness in the sight of the nations. So he's gone global, he's gone missions, and what you and I begin to ponder is the way in which God gets the word out through his marvelous deeds. Rahab would nod her head in approval to that. Because there she is housing now spies that Joshua had sent into Palestine to scope out the landscape before the Jewish people would arrive. And what does she say to the spies? Well, evidently, she's already heard. She's already begun to process the significance of the story of salvation that took place, for example, at the Red Sea. And in Joshua chapter 2, in verse 9, said, I know that the Lord has given you the land. That's grace. That the fear of you has fallen upon us. And that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt. And the readers of the psalmist at this point say, yeah, that's right. What Rahab was talking about in Joshua chapter 9, 2, verses 9, and again in verse 10. Is exactly what the psalmist is saying in Psalm 98, verse 2. He has revealed his righteousness in the sight of the nations. And even Adoniram Judson would have said yes to that. Known as the Apostle Burma, thrown into prison, seemed a hopeless task, his biographer puts it. But Adoniram Judson, while there, held captive. Here's his captor and those around him sarcastically, cynically challenging him. Now, what about your Jesus and all those so-called prospects of missions? Now, Judson, in their language. But the biographer tells us that Judson's response was quick. And unhesitating, quote, They are just as bright as the promises of God. Unquote. 
Now Rahab had to process the fact that God had promised Palestine to the Jews. Even in this very day and age when we consider the conflicts of what's happening in the Middle East right now and the epicenter of Israel in general, Jerusalem in particular, and we consider the promised plan of God as it relates to all of this, the Lord has made known his salvation. He has revealed his righteousness in the sight of the nations. He starts general. Then he goes international. And thirdly, he goes national. Verse 3. He has remembered his steadfast love and faithfulness to the house of Israel. Now, what I want you to notice here, how verse 3 ends, all the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God, is that in verse 1, it ends, his right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. Verse 2 begins, the Lord has made known his salvation. Verse 3 ends, All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. And now you look at our first stanza's heading, and when singing joy to the world, what you do is note, first of all, the salvation our Lord secures so that if for somehow, some way, there is joy to the world being piped in while people are shopping, and you're in one of the aisles, and you see somebody who's struggling with life, and it's very clear they have anything but joy at this point in their lives. Here's a practical recommendation. Link the song to the moment. Don't let it stay disconnected. Second, get personal. You seem to be struggling. Third, bring the truth to life and find a way to inch towards Jesus. Now, there's a second stanza. It comes out of verses 4 through 6. That's secondly, when singing joy to the world, note the praise our Lord deserves. Once you've worked through the salvation our Lord secures, you're thinking now about the praise our Lord deserves. And notice how it begins. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Break forth into joyous song and sing praises. This is where you get the story behind the song and why Isaac Watts wrote Joy to the World from Psalm 98. What he did was be able to understand the significance then and the need and the value of joy in a world that seems so joyless. Now we covered this in Nehemiah, didn't we, in particular? The whole matter of joy in comparison to happiness. Joy is rooted in God's grace. Joy involves an incredible delight in God that runs deeper and wider than both pain and pleasure. That you can experience joy even when life has taken a downturn. You're able to embrace what is said in Nehemiah. The joy of the Lord is my strength. And you're able to comprehend upon the construction of the walls of Jerusalem. In Nehemiah chapter 12 verse 43, God had made them rejoice with great joy and the joy of Jerusalem was heard far away. And what happens is that in a culture that seems to lack joy, yet is prone to say happy holidays, 
you're able to bring something of significance to the exhausted soul that crosses your path. It's the song of salvation. Break forth in joyous song and sing praises. Dayuma grasped that. She, she was the Alka girl. One of the five missionary widows was able to lead her to saving faith in Jesus Christ after the missionaries were, the men were killed. And she went away and came back getting some schooling and some training and learned that it was time to build a church. And when she did so, it was part of the process. She described her church as, quote, God's singing house, unquote. And the reason was because wherever she went and bumped into Christians who were gathered together, they had a way of singing to their God. Now, we are living in a culture of the old song. What we have to do is to bring the new song of salvation to the old song of fallenness and allow for people to begin to grasp what God has done. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Break forth into joyous song and sing praises. Now notice the heavy use of instruments. Sing praises to the Lord with the lyre, with the lyre and the sound of melody, with trumpets and the sound of the horn, and the horn is known as the shofar in the Hebrew language. It was a ram's horn. And that word, you might want to circle it, It's found there in verse 6. It was used to summon warriors to battle. So this then, first and foremost, musically speaking, was a means of communicating, make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Shofar was also used to summon worshipers to Jerusalem. The chauffeur was used to announce news, good news. And it was even used in the time period of Solomon in the celebration of his, of his inauguration. Out of all this, what you and I are challenged is to make a joyful noise before the king, the Lord. Personal story. It's 2000. I'd spoken multiple times the day before, but now it's Monday morning, 6 a.m., and I'm sitting in a restaurant with the vice chairman, treasurer, and the secretary of the Evangelical Free Church, the district, Forest Lakes District. These are the offices of the board that will be meeting shortly. I tend to do preliminary meetings before we get to the main meeting, which was to be about eight to nine hours in length that day. The secretary of the board, his name was Pastor Mark Steele. Ring a bell. Mark had not yet come on staff here to eventually become executive pastor. He was pastoring elsewhere. We were getting to know one another at that time. We are working together, and we are laying out the plan for the meeting that will start at 8 o'clock. I've got to get over to the district office and then meet with the staff at 7 o'clock before the meeting for the whole board begins at 8, which would take to about 4, maybe 5 in the afternoon, and then get back here for an elder board meeting 
that night. And so I'm on the clock. And I've got a Monday morning headache. When all of a sudden, we stop what we're doing. We're sitting there in the restaurant. And there's this argument that breaks out at the counter. And there is this man, and he's holding his fist up, and he's shouting, It's Merry Christmas! Oh man, he looked merry. And the manager of the store is responding, Happy Holidays! And he didn't look happy. And so I've got the Merry Christmas man on one side, and I've got the unhappy Happy Holiday man on the other side, and there wasn't enough coffee in that place to be able to manage my headache. And the, the board, the leadership board, stops and looks at one another and says, what do we do? And so it's take five. And so I got up and I went over. And Merry Christmas put down his money and stormed out the door, leaving unhappy, happy holidays standing there wondering what to do. And I came walking up and he's muttering, Christians. I put my hand on his shoulder. I said, I get that. I hang around. I said, you look weary. How are you doing? Not too good, he said. I said, I got a few minutes here, but I'm on the clock. Want a cup of coffee? I said, go sit down. And I go back and I serve the manager a cup of coffee. And I sit down. Tell me a little bit of your story. What's going wrong? And he tells me about this girlfriend that he has, and they're living together, and they want to get married, but there's arguments, and Christianity is somehow involved in the extended family of what they ought to be doing, and so on and so forth. Now, what he had tried to do is to create within that restaurant a neutral zone, a secular neutral zone where Christianity could not invade. He had a problem. The problem was the music being played over the speaker system was playing Christmas carols. And he's arguing for a happy holidays when all of a sudden throughout the restaurant comes the song Joy to the World. And I look over at the other table and there's Mark and the guys and they're praying. And I said, I've only got a few minutes here, but listen. You're struggling, and this world can't produce the happiness you're looking for, neither can this relationship. You need something deeper, richer, further. You need joy, as you're hearing that song. It's found in a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. This isn't some culture war of Happy Holidays, or Merry Christmas. This is about Jesus loving people like you and me. So I said, I don't live around here, but I'm going to jot down the names of two people I know, Brian and Kathy, and she's a trained counselor. She might be able to help you. So I jot down their names, and I just push it across the table. And he's getting a little teary-eyed, and he said, thanks for caring. I said, thanks for listening. 
I do care. And got up and walked away. Later that day, I went to the church that Brian pastors. Took my place in the board meeting and let Brian know before the start about this man and his girlfriend who were struggling. And the story of joy to the world and how it seemed to invade his own space. Maybe you can help them out. Now what God does for you and does for me is that he brings the story of the song into our souls. Let me say it again. What God does is he brings the story of the song into the soul. Psalm 98 is a song. The marvelous deeds, it's the story. But each of us has a soul. And we've got to do this Christmas season. It's not allow for the music to linger in the background at your next office Christmas party. You're going to be looking at somebody who's having a very unhappy, happy greeting time period. And they're going to have to figure out a way of bringing truth into their lives. And just maybe you're the one to bring the song and the story. Bridge it together and attach it to the soul. And once you do, understand this. When singing joy to the world, not only is there the salvation that our Lord secures in 1 through 3, and the praise that our Lord deserves in verses 4 through 6, but finally, there's the judgment that our Lord assures in 7 through 9. And he ends with these words, Let the sea roar and all that fills it, the world and those who dwell in it. Let the rivers clap their hands. This is a poetic expression of a spiritual truth. Let the hills sing for what? Oh, you can see Isaac Watts' eyes getting real big at this point as he's penning the lyrics, Joy to the world. Let the hills sing for joy together. And now he begins to write joy to the earth. The Savior reigns. Let men their songs employ. While fields and floods, rocks, hills, and plains repeat the sounding joy. Repeat the sounding joy. Repeat, repeat the sounding joy. And the idea there was one wave after another of truth. Coming ashore into the soul of the person in his life. Till you get to verse 9. Before the Lord. For he comes to judge the earth. And he'll judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with equity. But there's something significant about this word judge that I don't want you to miss at this point. Because it doesn't have to do with that final judgment. It's the very same word that was used to describe Solomon at the point in which he was made to be king over Israel, where he longed for the ability to judge, to discern. And so it comes with the idea of here a word used to describe the way in which God goes about judging with a sense of ruling, 
In other words, to rule with sound judgment. Make it relational. You might have somebody in your circle and family or friends, workplace, who seems to lack sound judgment at this point. You pray this verse over that next opportunity you have to hang with that person. He'll judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with equity in the same way he would equip a Solomon to do so, to make distinctions that nobody else could and to recognize what's true, what's false, what's right, what's wrong. And you bring it together. And now you've got something to offer people who lack joy in a world where they're singing and saying, Happy Holidays. Take the three stanzas. Bring them together in the course of these days to come. Look for opportunities to bring the story behind each song to the soul of each person. Let's stand together. So, Father, thanking now for these times together. These are equipping times. And all these services this morning... In the gathered sense, you equip us now to be well positioned in the scattered sense, in offices, in hospitals, schools, in neighborhoods, factory, wherever, to bring truth to life. If there's anybody, Father, right now who needs to have a greater sense of discernment, spiritual judgment, to be able to make right decisions... Help us to find a way to bring the joy to the world principle to their lives. To bring the story behind the song to their soul and lead them to Jesus. So we thank you now for this time together and this time of equipping for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you.